Welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Listen in, and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member, Claire Kumar. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm thrilled to be back with you. I'm Claire Kumar, your host of NAPO's podcast, Standout. It's the podcast to help you build a better organizing and productivity business. And you know, sometimes that starts with bettering yourself. I am so excited for this conversation. This is weaving together not only our love of organizing and helping our clients, but also better understanding how to motivate and inspire potentially clients who are not really excited about the prospect or perhaps someone who's a partner or a family member who is resistant. And I know I experienced it. I saw in my practice, sometimes there would be a woman who would call me, generally a woman was calling me, and her partner was either resistant, uninterested, or some right downright vetoed the process, not really acknowledging that this was going to be something that the whole family would benefit from. So I experienced that a lot. And I was actually married to someone for a long time who I remember early in our relationship, his sister said to me, how do you motivate him? How do you get him to do things? And I have to say, I figured out a couple of times how, but I'm really excited about this topic today and having our guest Gretchen Rubin with us. You will all know and love her because Gretchen's got an insight not only into this getting organized and as Gretchen calls it, creating outer order and inner calm, the title of her latest book, but also has deeply explored motivation and personal preferences and tendencies, as she calls them, as ways to show up. So I'm really excited. You all know and love Gretchen, I'm sure. But let me tell you a little bit more about Gretchen before I bring her into conversation. Gretchen is the author of several New York Times bestsellers, Outer Order, Inner Calm, which you can probably see behind me if you're watching the YouTube video, Better Than Before, which was really around being better than before, improving yourself, personal development. I encourage everyone to read that. The Happiness Project, an earlier, I don't think that might have been your first book, Happier at Home, and The Four Tendencies, which deeply explores four personality types that we're going to dive into today. Gretchen delights an enormous readership through her blog and books, which have sold more than 3.5 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. She makes frequent TV appearances and is in much demand as a speaker. She's also a CBS News contributor, which I did not know. On her weekly podcast, you can have Gretchen's wisdom in your ear with Happier with Gretchen Rubin. She discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Did you know Gretchen started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer? And I think we're all so blessed with that decision. We're reaching Gretchen now. She lives in New York City with her husband and two daughters. And I'm so excited today to be exploring both Outer Order, Inner Calm, and The Four Tendencies. We're going to kind of have a mashup of those two books. Very excited to have you join us, Gretchen. Welcome today. 
Oh, thanks so much, Claire. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Oh, I'm excited too. I first saw you speak. I think you came to Toronto. I think it was the Better Than Before book tour. And you spoke there and I fell in love with you in person there, having listened to you beforehand. And then reading The Four Tendencies, it was like, you have created the answers to <laughs> figure out how to motivate if we're willing to tune into that. So you have combined this curiosity of yours to explore topics that are of such importance to this audience in particular. I'm wondering if you could help us. First of all, I think this concept of the four tendencies for people who aren't familiar with it, maybe we could start there and you could give a sentence or two about each of the four tendencies and then we'll connect to the whole creating out of order. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to describe these four tendencies and the four tendencies are upholder, questioner, obliger, rebel. And I will briefly outline them. And most people know what they are right away. They can spot the people in their lives as well. Characters. I could do the Game of Thrones characters. I could do Parks and Rec. But there is a quiz online if you're the kind of person who likes to take a quiz and get a little report. If you go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com, you can take the quiz. It's free and quick. Like, I don't know, millions of people have taken that quiz. But like I say, we'll just talk about it right now, Claire. And I think most people will know what they are. So what this framework is looking at is how you respond to expectations. And all of us face two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations like... I need to get my house clean because I'm having company for Christmas or I have a work deadline. And then there are inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to clean out the garage, even though no one else ever walks into the garage. So depending on how you respond to outer and inner expectations, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, unjustified. They tend to love to customize. They love to hack themselves. They always need reason. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, if it makes sense to them, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. Their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are and could you see me nodding my head off to that? That is 100% me. And it makes for a good interviewer oh, because good, yes. we got to love asking questions. Yes, yes. And I'm married to a questioner. I know that tendency very well. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So they're the people who have no trouble keeping their promises to other people. And then they're like, why can't I keep my promises to myself? And what you find with obligers is what they need in order to meet an inner expectation is they must have outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, work out with a friend who'll be annoyed if you don't show up or work out with a trainer, or if you want to clean out the garage, work with somebody who's going to hold you accountable for doing all the things you said you need to do and want to do. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Then there are rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. They tend to love a challenge. They're very tied to their identity. They'll do something because that's the kind of person they are. That's what they want to put out into the world. But 
if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday because they think, well, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. And just the idea that someone's going to expect me to show up is going to bug me. So their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. (laughs) And so your tendency, questioner tendency, is the second largest tendency, the largest tendency the biggest number of people belong to you for both men and women is obliger. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life, then questioner. The smallest tendency, though it's a conspicuous tendency, is the rebel tendency. And then my tendency, the upholder tendency, is just slightly larger than the rebel tendencies. Those are sort of the two extreme personality types. So if you're thinking about working with clients or customers, students, you're probably dealing with a lot of obligers and probably a lot of questioners as well, and fewer rebels and fewer upholders. But the rebels are in the house. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, right? They are. Yeah, there are many rebels. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about as we sort of combine this concept of as organizing and productivity professionals, we are sometimes that accountability person for setting that order. And in the home, in that shared system, if you will, we need cooperation from the players in the house. And there's often such a struggle in one person identifying or relating to the need for this outer order. They don't benefit from the same way. Their level of comfort would be and tolerance would be much higher and so on. And so they're not on board. They're like, why invest the time? And as you said, if they're a rebel personality, which is the juicy one I really wanted to get into, it's like, you can't tell them this is a good idea. What can you do when you're working with someone who's just does not see the point, thank you very much, in the effort and the expense? Well, I'll tell you, probably a lot of people who come to you are obligers who realize like, oh, if I want to get this done, I'll do a lot better if I have someone holding me accountable. And here's the thing about rebels. When rebels pair up, whether in romance or in, at work, like in a founding team, if one person is a rebel, almost always the other person is an obliger. So it wouldn't be very surprising at all that many obligers would be married to rebels or have rebel sweethearts because not that all obligers team up the most easily with all the three tendencies, but when you do have a rebel, they've got an obliger. So it might be quite a common thing that people would experience that particular combination. So if you're thinking about how to get a rebel to do what you want them to do, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One is identity. Identity is a very, very high priority to a rebel. And so if you can appeal to identity, that can be very, very compelling. So I'm a responsible partner. I'm a considerate partner. I want to be a parent who creates an environment where my children can thrive and feel comfortable and peaceful, where they can focus. I pride myself in my hospitality. I want to feel like my door is always open. I have beautiful things and I want to showcase them. So if you can find a way to tap into a person's identity, that can be very compelling. It sounds like with identity, that's speaking to their values. So if you can identify what what they value and... It's not even what they value generally. It's what they value about themselves. What kind of person am I? Okay, gotcha. I am the kind of person who you can count on. So it's not even like, I think the environment is important. It's like, I am an environmentalist. It's like a weird. It's a little more intense. It's very intense. It's really wrapped up in how they show up. Yes, exactly. If it's helping the person show up the way they want to be, they're going to intrinsically be motivated to do that. So it's choosing language that reflects those priorities. And that said, sometimes the way to get a rebel on your side 
remember they do things because they choose to do it. And so saying you owe it to me, you said you would, we have to, everybody knows you have to, these people expect it of us. That's not going to be compelling. But if you said, it's just one of those things, I know you don't think it's important, but when people come over, I really feel a lot happier when everything's kind of picked up and it's really, really important to me. And I wish you would do that. And so what you're saying is, can you do it for me out of love? Can you choose to do it out of love? If you try to tell them it's their duty, that's not going to be very compelling to them because they're like, why do I have to do that? But if you're like, can you choose to do it out of love for me? If you're like, look, I just can't sit still. You want to relax and have fun. And I just can't relax and have fun when everything is so messy. But if we just did a little bit every day, then we could relax and have fun. I would love to sit. And just like binge watch Netflix with you. If you'd help me keep it clean, I think we'd have so much more fun together. Can you do it out of love? That's a loaded question, depending on where the relationship is, because then you'll find out where your love level actually is right now. And this is a symptom of a bigger issue here. I would always say early in conversation with romantic couples and thinking about cohabitating, you've got to have a conversation about how you practically like to live when you're still feeling so generous before you've built up any resentment for the things that have been left out. So it's kind of a reset. One thing I would point out, though, I think I'd be curious to hear what you think, and this is not related to the tendencies, but just generally around people, is I think that we have to acknowledge that how much outer order contributes to your inner calm is a preference. And everybody can point to studies, oh, a clean desk means more focus, but then everybody's like, oh, but a clean desk means more creativity. I think it's all just what does the individual want? And so sometimes you get into a situation where I'm trying to convince you that I'm right. Somebody else is just going to convince you they're right. There's no appealing to reason there. It's more about preferences. It's like, I prefer it this way. You prefer it that way. Now, so that raises the question, well, you prefer it one way, but I don't care. So I don't understand why I need to spend two hours every weekend fixing things up to your satisfaction. That's your preference. And I said, you mentioned my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. My sister, who is clutter blind, this is the small number of people where they don't see clutter. They don't care. It does not bring them down. It does not affect their focus. I mean, all things being equal, my sister would like to have things like more orderly, but she doesn't really care. Not the way I care. And again, it's like, that's a preference. And so you can talk about, I just can't live like this. And so we have to find a way for us both to thrive in this environment. But I think sometimes people get very distracted with trying to convince someone else that they're right. And like, you're a questioner. You can go to a questioner and be like, well, we have to do this. And they're like, why? Why do we have to clean out the basement if no one uses it? Why am I going to do that? Why do we have to do it this weekend? I don't feel like doing it this weekend. It's like, why, 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 why? It's like, okay. I really tried to work with couples who one person, you're right. I say they've got a tolerance for chaos or I've got a, my own personality matrix, which has been only given in a few talks and so on. But there's a matrix which says, where's your tolerance? Is it low or high for chaos? Because that's going to give you a level of discomfort. You're either sensitive or you're not. The other matrix is an intrinsic motivation to create order. Either it's low or it's high. And if it's very low sensitivity and high motivation, that's the organizing community and the people who are hobby organizers who are like, oh, I can get all the colors and I can really make this fantastic. If your sensitivity is high and your motivation is not quite as high, I say this is more an inspired organizer. When you've got something where you've got a real motivation for my desk needs to work so I can get this done, you figure that out. But the car may be chaotic. It's more situational. Then you've got the people who are, they've got the biggest tolerance for chaos ever. 
and they've got no motivation. I call them reluctant organizers. This is where the rebel tendency could play with this. And it's very hard to get those people to come into even the wishful organizer, which is they've got a high tolerance for it and they've got some drive, but not enough drive. So they're wanting to be there, but they can't get across that boundary. And so one of the things I've suggested that people do is don't use the argument of clutter to try and make somebody understand it. Let's take a genre of music. And usually somebody has a genre of music that they just don't enjoy. So I say, imagine that music on 11, <laughs> volume 11, in a boombox in your ear. Visual noise. Yeah, yeah, and I think you use the term visual noise in your book too. And so I like it. I'm like, everybody has a food they don't like. What if you had to eat that? What if you had to listen to that music? That's the equivalent for me. That is a great metaphor because people are like, well, just don't pay attention to it. And it's like, I can't turn it off. It doesn't bother you, but I can't turn it off. Oh, I think that's a great metaphor. I've never heard anybody use that metaphor, but I think that's really terrific. Loud music you don't like. We all know what that feels like. And that exactly. is what clutter feels like. It does feel like visual noise. Yeah. So I want to bounce off another thought because this has sort of come up in my life personally. Do you know about the highly sensitive person by yeah. any chance, that type? So one of the things I've been saying for years now is that you've got to cater to the most sensitive in a space, especially any shared space. If you've got your own space, and I love that in your book, you say, make sure everyone has their own home or part of a room. I think it's really important in a share space to cater to the people who are most sensitive. And that means creating more order. So then I use the kindergarten classroom. Everything had a place to go and everything had a place to go home to. Okay, but let me push back on that. What do you say to people who say, hey, Claire, I get it. It doesn't bother me. And I don't see why I need to spend all this time doing things that I think are like very much on the margins. Like if you want it that way, that's great. But I don't understand why I need to, maybe I'll put my socks in the hamper, but I don't see why I need to spend all this time getting something to a standard that I think is unrealistic. A couple of things. I circle back to your out of love and caring okay. yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know how we talk about psychological safety? Emotionally, we need to feel safe. We also, for sensitive people who are on high alert all the time and they're getting taxed by all the noise, physical clutter or actual noise, we're getting emotionally and physically exhausted during the day. So it's an out of love can we create an environment in which everyone can thrive? And if we know, for example, we have a highly sensitive child and a father who's not sensitive, we're really, it's an act of caregiving and love to say, oh, I wanna help you create that. Not because I need it, but because I understand this loud noise thing now. And I understand that you can't walk around with noise canceling headphones all the time. So what can we do in the environment that we agree as a family is gonna make that good shared space? But it's out of love, it's not out of, I need to be like you. It's just the reality of someone else's temperament. Yeah. And so it's finding out how to have these conversations to inspire that rebel whose perhaps identity is like, I'm a loving father. Well, okay. Or I'm a loving husband. And okay. Part of the loving husband action then would be, could you please love me in this way? Yes. I think that's a great argument because if you start talking about why this is better. Well, then somebody would say, well, you say it's better, but I say it doesn't matter. And then that's just an argument that goes round and round. Exactly. And then to your point, everyone needs to have that place where they can just be themselves. And so, I mean, I have two kids, you have two daughters. I don't know if your kids are like mine. Mine are different than me and what they like to do. And my daughter has a love of abundance and a loving- Mine too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I like walk into a room and I'm like, I wouldn't want it like this 
but every single thing is in its place. That's how she likes it. And place in my daughter's room could have been a laundry basket full of clothes. <laughs> and so it wasn't for me to say, this is uncomfortable for me. So this has to be uncomfortable for you. But every so often, how you were talking about your sister being clutter blind, my daughter would be a batch organizer, I call it, and sort of sort of wait until it was like in her way. And then one day she did this thing. This was a couple of years ago. She was about 16. And she did the stop time video of her cleaning her room. Oh my gosh, how fun. It so was. And I got her permission to share it before and after more than anything. (laughs) And so she made it fun for herself to do it. And I just thought, oh, and then I didn't see her do it again for a very long time. But for that moment, it was really good. Oh, that's fun. Well, I do think that sometimes people who really are love organizing feel like, well, everybody will feel better. And so I'm going to be really up in their face about getting them organized. Whereas sometimes it's like, look, it's not your problem to solve. You think, oh, well, let's get you all organized. Somebody was saying how she wanted to alphabetize her boyfriend's bookshelf and he didn't want to do it. And I'm like, you guys aren't even married. You don't live together. Why you're telling him he needs to do that? Back off. Like if he wants help, you could be helpful, but this is not work that needs to be done. It's not bothering him. And that's very close to the edge of somebody just like creating make work because it's not your problem. That's the hobby piece of like organizing to the extreme. Do it for yourself. Well, this is me and my sister. I'm always like, can I please come? She lives in LA and I live in New York, but I'm like, can I please come over and clean up your office? And she (laughs) lets me do it because it's so fun for me. But I do not kid myself that she gets as much benefit out of it as I do because I delight in it. So I get it. And it's fine if you acknowledge that. But I think sometimes people are like, well, you'll feel better. Like you'll think better. That's it. And it's sort of like, well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe this is a question of preferences. And is this a problem for me to solve? If it's weighing on my mind and I can't focus and I feel restless in my own home, well, that's affecting me. If I'm over at your house for dinner and like I happen to notice that your bookshelf is not alphabetized, to me, that's a very personal choice. Exactly. I don't know how many homes I went to where people, they feel some sense of being judged or shamed that their place is not a certain way. And the number of homes I went into where I'm like, where's the problem? We've got to open some doors to find the problem because it's hidden behind doors. And so, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's a topic that's not really been explored in any great depth. Maybe there's another book in there somewhere, but this sensuality and appreciation of things and how it transcends to how they appear in your space. I think you touched on it so beautifully in Outer Order, Inner Calm. This We want to treasure things and we want to have them out there. I think it was in the very last part of it. Actually, I have the book here and I wanted yes, to read this memory in the very last little bit of what you wrote. When we look at our stuff, we see a reflection of ourselves. We're happier when that stuff is in good order and includes things that we need, use, and love because that reflection influences the way we see ourselves. And I thought, boom, if that isn't right there, a call to action out of love for self. I thought that was so beautiful in what you wrote. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I think too, a lot of people feel like organizers are coming to help us throw stuff out. And that's what a lot of the television angle. Yes. Yeah. And so I love to weave in and I think you did it very much. So in that, and especially in that sentiment, it's about finding what works for you and then honoring those things that really reflect who you are and make you feel you're living in a beautiful space that is part of and an extension of you. 
I think there's so much talk about minimalism. And I think some people really feel very guilty about their abundance loving selves. And they feel like everyone should simplify and everybody should be minimalist. And I just don't think that's true. I think some people feel much more comfortable in minimalist environments, but some people really, they love collections and profusions and choice and buzz and a lot of stuff going on. And that can be beautiful too, but nobody wants a bunch of stuff that's just unrecognizable doodads and things that don't work and things that we never used and things that are broken or dusty or sticky. You can get rid of the clutter. You can have a lot left over, but if it's beautiful and it's just what you want, then it really does make you happier when you get rid of all the stuff that is the clutter that's getting in the way of what's important to you. There's a lightness in it. Absolutely. No, it's funny how often people use, do you find the metaphor of losing weight? of clearing clutter, they'll often say, I feel 10 pounds lighter. I feel like a load is off my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. There's a physical connection to your space. It's that. And there's also, I think, a connection to breath. I say we need breath in our space and breath in our calendars as well. So we need some emptiness, some lightness. Otherwise, the word I use with my daughters, are you feeling squishy? You don't have enough time for what you need to accomplish or your space is under pressure. Well, Thoreau wrote, I love a broad margin to my life. And I realize I'm a person who needs a lot of broad margin. I need a lot of empty shelf space. I need a lot of bare counters. I need a lot of time between appointments. I need a lot of time to get from point A to point B. I think you're right. It's like, do you feel crowded and cramped and claustrophobic? Or do you feel like there's a lot of margin to take a deep breath? Absolutely. It relates to autonomy in the way we work. And it relates into my choice to live as much as I can, what I call off peak. Do not make me go in rush hour. Do not make me to go to, to the big box store like on that. a weekend. I'm I an like off peak liver. Pe- off peak <laughs> lifestyle. Yes, that's great. That's funny. My daughter just brought a train ticket and she's like, what's off peak on peak for this train ticket? And I was like, oh, well, it's rush hour. Yeah, it's the same with like our electricity bill. Off peak is really where you want to be, (laughs) right? Maybe I can ask you, what are you exploring now? Because just watching your career, you're always digging into something I'm curious about. So I'm being the questioner that I am. I'm curious what's piquing your interest now. Well, I'm very excited because I just started, I've created these journals and it really comes out of my research into happiness and good habits and outer order to see what people need. And so one of them is a tracker. It's a don't break the chain tracker where people can cross off doing something every day. So like, let's say somebody said, I'm going to clear clutter for 15 minutes every day. Well, this is a place where you could write that down and check it off. And maybe you start to see patterns like it's harder for me on the weekends, or it's harder for me at the beginning of the month for whatever reason, or when it's baseball season. And you can kind of learn your own habits and give yourself that goal. A lot of times obligers like the accountability of checking it off and questioners like it because questioners love data. So they like to see the patterns and stuff. Exactly. You're making me think I'm coaching somebody right now who's really working at going to bed much before midnight, conceptually understands, but things keep coming up. And I've suggested this sense of tracking. So I'll recommend it to him. Is it out yet? Or is it? It's in pre-order now, but it's just on the brink of being out. Yeah. So okay. my don't break the change tracker. Love it. And then I have another one, which is know yourself better, which is a bunch of prompts to know yourself better. And we've talked about these just right now. Are you an abundance lover or a simplicity lover? Are you a morning person or a night person? And like trying to help you understand, do you like competition or cooperation? For some people, it's like, let's see who can clean their bedroom faster. And then somebody else is like, let's all work on the family room together. So that's another journal. Love it. Because everything starts with self-awareness. And it does. So true. 
people want to skip that step and you can't skip that step. One of the things I say in my talks is you've got to tune in before you lean in. So tune in, this is the tune in tool. And so I love prompts with it because we kind of look at a blank page and think I'm supposed to tune into what already. So this is great. A hundred percent. So that's a know yourself better journal. And that's exactly, so you and I are responding to the very same thing that we've seen with people, which is people, they seek that self-knowledge. They know that it's valuable, but it's hard to just look into a mirror and see anything helpful. You kind of need people to say, well, is there a time when you've succeeded in the past? And you're like, oh, when I had a roommate, I kept my house much tidier. But now that I'm living alone, I'm really struggling. It's like, okay, well, what can we learn from that? There's lessons there. So anyway, I've been creating these products and I'm very excited about that. Me too, because they absolutely hit on gaps. And that's what I think you've done is you've noticed things that are missing and then you create something to fill it. So I've loved our conversation today and weaving these two things. I hope everybody's had a chance to really pull something away in terms of understanding the four tendencies. And definitely, if you have not yet read Outer Order, Inner Calm, even for an organizing professional of 15 years <laughs> working with people, they were thinking and they're like, oh, what it was, I think for me, the gems in that book were prompts of how to think about certain aspects of a room or a process or an item of things. And it's things that you can offer your clients. This is a gem book for seasoned professional organizers to read through. And I love it too. What I have to comment on is, so I lived in Japan 20 years ago and this format, it's like Marie Kondo's book. It's a Japanese publishing format. So when I saw this book come out, which is different than better than before, which is more of the traditional North American, I thought, oh, I love it. There's something about the diminutive nature of this. And then just if anybody's looking on YouTube, I'm just showing a picture of the inside of the book. It's like little wisdom nuggets all the way through. It's very light. It's meant to be very, like, very light. There's yeah. margins in this book. There's a broad margin in this book. So you there feel you go, right. <laughs> I back. never made that connection, but yes, I like a broad margin in my books. Yeah. And there's the inspirational quotes and I read it and I will read it again. You'll figure out the gems that you want to take to your clients. But Gretchen, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Just so everybody knows, we're going to do a bonus question and it's only going to be on the YouTube channel. So if you want to catch that juicy tidbit, you're going to have to check out there. Gretchen, is there anything you'd like to say to the organizing and productivity crowd out there who love and adore you? Is there anything you'd like to say to this group? Oh, well, thanks so much for everyone's enthusiasm and engagement, because certainly when I was writing Outer Order, Inner Calm, I was responding to so many like questions and insights and observations from other people. So I love this community. I feel you with all my heart. I know from people how much happiness is created when people connect with somebody who can help them get to that outer order that really is going to give them that sense of inner organization and inner peace. So I love this community. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. So everyone, until the next episode, please check out our other episodes on napopodcast.com. Drop a comment. Let us know what's riveting for you. Send some feedback. Send some love to Gretchen in our social media. We'll be putting this out there for you all to find it. And of course, always be kind to yourself and stay safe and enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.